Thank you. Well, good morning, and thank you for inviting me back since I was here in, in June. Last time I came, I felt called to speak on the book of Daniel, looking at King Nebuchadnezzar throwing three Jewish men into the fire. And poor Anne had to read the whole chapter, full of long, complicated names. And so I thought today, if I did something similar, you would never invite me back. So instead I want us to look at this beloved psalm and the story of Jesus healing a disabled woman on the Sabbath. Both passages I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but hopefully God can speak fresh to us here today. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words I have prepared will speak anew to us this morning, to inspire and guide us as we walk this journey of faith with you. Amen. Amen. So, in the New Testament reading, we hear of Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues on a Sabbath and noticing a crippled lady and healing her, as immediately she straightens up and praises God, much to the anger of the leaders there. And Jesus reminding them that they untie their animals and feed them on the Sabbath, and how much more precious to God she is. I love the message version of how this passage ends. It says, when he put it that way, his critics were left looking quite silly and red-faced. The congregation were delighted and cheered him on. Oh, how we would have loved to have been in the congregation that day, watching all this drama, holding our breath, to see what Jesus would say when he was so publicly criticised. And then, as only Jesus can do, making us all think differently, looking at the bigger picture, and not just on the way things have always been done. Refocusing our thoughts on love and compassion for a vulnerable, disabled lady, ahead of the rules and the regulations. Some translations say her affliction was caused by an evil spirit or a psychological illness, and others by arthritis. Whatever the cause, she has been suffering for 18 years, and Jesus heals her. We're told she was so twisted and bent over that she couldn't even look up. But I wonder, would she have wanted to anyway? The shame of living in a time when sickness was looked upon as a cause by a sin that you'd committed and a curse from God, as a well-known member of the community, with everyone's life was made so very public, would she have wanted to see the glances of pity and judgment? In the verses just before this one, in the same chapter, we read that Pilate had killed some Galileans while they were at worship mixing their blood with the blood of the sacrifices on the altar. Some people had come to ask Jesus a question we have been asking ever since. Why does God allow suffering? Was their suffering a result of their sin? And Jesus made it clear that there was no automatic link between sin and suffering. They were not suffering because they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans. But this radical idea was too inbred in the culture of that time and so not going to change the minds of those in the synagogue that day as they see this crippled woman beside them. 
But Jesus sees her, calls her over and tells her she is free. Not just of the immense distress and pain she must have been in, which any of us here this morning who suffers from arthritis will tell us. It can be excruciating. But also the shame that she'd endured for year after year. And the thing about long-term pain and illness is that it can consume your life, making it a challenge to actually think about anything else. And it can also make you feel very vulnerable and feel like an outsider, not able to join in with the activities everybody else seems to be involved in. I had major back problems in my early 30s. I'd had a car accident 10 years previously, and being unaware that my lower disc had actually never healed, I damaged the disc above it, kickboxing. I know you can't imagine me kickboxing, but in my 30s, I was quite a lot fitter. (laughs) I spent six years having um, 10 back surgeries, and even getting married with a TENS machine strapped to my leg, and having to wear um, trainers under my wedding dress because I couldn't wear heels. Luckily, no one could see it because my dress was on to the floor, but yeah. And as well as the constant pain that I lived with, I changed as a person during that time. I felt constantly guilty that I was putting pressure on my new husband, not knowing if I'd ever be able to work or have a baby. Having to cancel our honeymoon to Canada as I had surgery just a few days after the wedding. I used to go swimming a lot to try and strengthen my core and I remember being in the pool and this poor young girl swimming right into me and I just burst into tears at the worry that maybe she jarred my back and had made it worse and my poor friend having to apologise for me because I just stood there and cried. Acute and then chronic pain can consume our lives and leave us wondering where God is in all this looking at the things you could do for service in him if he just answered our prayers and healed us. We don't know why God chooses to answer some of our healing prayers and not the prayers of others. What we do know is that those who are healed aren't loved any more than those who aren't. And we know that we are each called to continue to hold each other up in our love and our prayers as we live as a family supporting each other. And we can learn so much when we look at baby turtles, how they get from the sand to the sea. I found out that when a mother turtle um, eggs are ready to be laid, she drags herself out of the ocean and leaves her young beneath a pile of sand on the beach. And then when the baby turtles are ready to come out from their hiding place, they push up towards the surface. However, they can't do this on their own. The only way out of the nest is in community with each other. They push each other by standing on each other's backs with their incredible effort and their tiny fins to push away the sand from where they are. The stronger ones moving the sand for the weaker ones. There's no way they can do this on their own. It's a combined effort as they then all head towards the waiting sea. And I thought, what an amazing vision of church this is. Every person in fellowship playing their part to ensure that everyone gets to experience the kingdom of God. And everyone has a crucial part to play. Those not physically able to serve, praying and offering wisdom to those who are. Each role so vital for the life of a fellowship. 
I endured my back issues for six years. This lady that Jesus met had been suffering for three times that. My back issue wasn't something anyone can see unless they bumped into me in a swimming pool. But this lady's condition was visible to all and so severe that she couldn't even see the world around her as she walked down the street. I was always scared of being around crowds of people in case someone banged into me and hurt me even more. But this brave lady had walked into a crowded synagogue, extra busy with news that this renowned rabbi Jesus was in town, no doubt, and probably wished that she could remain anonymous, standing at the back of the room where less people would notice her. The women of this day were already seen as less important than the men, and a disabled one would have been even lower in the social standing. She would probably have felt so worthless and unimportant and just hoped that she could just blend into the background. But Jesus saw her, and not only saw her, but healed her and set her free from the shame and pain that had been inflicted her for so many years. But those in authority didn't like it. He could heal if he wanted, but not on this holy day. A day when the elders, who were so pleased with their own self-importance, having a packed synagogue with the arrival of their famous guest preacher. But as we know, Jesus didn't play by the rules. And you can see an unspoken power struggle going on. The leader of the synagogue is in charge of the meeting, but all eyes are on Jesus. Which in terms of protocol, puts them both in an awkward position. But Jesus doesn't care about this when there's a lady suffering who he can heal. The leader has been upstaged and instead of joining in the joy of what it means for this lady and her future, he tries to re-establish his authority by publicly condemning what Jesus has done. But notice he doesn't directly criticise Jesus. Instead he focuses his anger on those who have come to be healed telling them they have six days in which they can come to be healed, so they shouldn't be turning up on the Sabbath for healing. He's implying it's this lady's fault for coming when she was so obviously in need of healing that had caused Jesus to break the rules and heal on this day. She's standing there healed, full of joy, praising God, and he's directing his anger at her and the other people that are in need of healing too. People who have no doubt heard of his healing ministry, his compassion. And so although they've come to hear him speak, they have that hope inside of them that just maybe, just maybe he'll touch them too and they will also be healed. But now they're being condemned along with this lady for their presence there that's caused such a trouble. Yet this man, this leader of the synagogue, he would have known them and this, this healed lady really well, just like we know the people we see in church each week. He would have seen how this lady's condition had got worse as each year passed, had spoken to her and her family about her illness, maybe prayed with them. And as the healed lady is celebrating by praising God, along, no doubt, with her family and friends and the people she knows in the synagogue, he has lost sight of the fact that he's just witnessed an amazing miracle. Something incredible to someone in his fellowship, 
under his care. Instead of joining in the celebrations, he's thinking about his responsibility to enforce the commands of God, which stated if a person was in a life and death situation, it's okay to help them. But if the situation is just a chronic one, it should definitely wait to the next day. But in this, he's forgotten the spirit of the God that he served, which he had seen throughout the history of the Jewish nation, that this is a God of love and compassion, and with all his commandments summed up by the act of loving God and loving our neighbour. Healing someone so disabled and broken was amazing and life-changing, though. But Jesus then goes on to defend her from those accusations using the example of how they untie an animal to have a drink on the Sabbath. So surely untying this lady who lived in their community, who had been tied to her condition for such a long time, was the right thing to do. And to reinstate the fact that she matters more to God than a donkey or a set of rules, he calls her a daughter of Abraham. He's reminded those present that she was family, a cherished and beloved daughter of the same lineage of Abraham. She was a descendant, like these religious Jewish men who took such pride in their heritage. He gives her back her dignity as well as her posture. He reminds them and her that she is a child of God. Jesus calls us to love one another, but he also makes it clear how loved we are to him. It might be that some of you here have come today and are feeling unlovable, maybe suffering from an illness or disability, which means that maybe you're not as useful as you maybe once were. Or maybe you're not well enough to join us here today, so you're watching via the live streaming and feel forgotten or unseen. Whatever the reasons for how you are feeling, hang on to that truth we hear in today's reading. Jesus sees us. We are all beloved children of God, more precious than diamonds or gold. The disciples Jesus loved tells us in 1 John, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And as we heard in our beautiful Old Testament reading, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. We are seen and such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. I can look at you all this morning and I can see why God would love you all. But when it comes to God loving ourselves, I think we find it more difficult to believe, especially when we think about all our mistakes and imperfections. But like the crippled lady, we are God's children in our flaws, insecurities and brokenness. Even on the days that we don't feel it, we are redeemed, chosen and loved. But that word, love, gets used a lot in the English language, especially only having one word for the many different types of love, unlike maybe other languages. When it's used to describe many things, it can lose a bit of its intensity when you compare the love you feel for your family with the same <coughs> excuse me the same word you use to describe your favorite pizza topping in our psalm which is attributed to king david he talks about the great love god has for him 
without even using the word love once. But there is no doubt of it in every sentence proclaimed. And it isn't the image of a king, a husband or father he's betrayed, but the person that only God sees, the heart and soul which can never be hidden from our maker. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my... Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We are seen by God now and have been ever since we were first conceived. The message version puts it like this. Oh yes, you shaped me first, inside and then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvellously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. Like the crippled woman, we are called to worship and sing praise for how amazing we are, all of us, by a God who doesn't ever make mistakes. These words are mirrored in the words written and sung by Jonathan David Hessler in a worship song that's called No Longer Slaves. I'm sure some of you are aware of it. And the words say, from a mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. I've been born again into your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I've loved this song for a few years now. But I only learnt the significance of these words recently. Jonathan's father, Ken, was a drug-taking hippie, touring America in the early 1970s, signing record deals. One day he was sitting in a yoga pose, smoking a joint and reading the Bible, when he heard a voice, Hear God and you will live. This set him on a journey, visiting church after church, asking the same question, Does God really speak today? And if he does, how do you know it's him? For three months, he toured these churches and no one could really answer him until he met a Baptist pastor who told him he had to make Jesus Lord instead of worshipping the God that he'd made of music. Ken asked God into his life, gave up drugs and the band with its promise of fame and fortune and recommitted himself to be faithful to his wife and his two daughters. He committed his life to prayer, talking and listening to God. Then one day, he heard a word of prophecy from a man he barely knew, telling him, Tell my servant, Ken Hessler, that I have healed his seed. He's going to have a son who is to be called Jonathan David. He'll play the harp and sing like an angel. He'll write prophetic songs for his generation and his music will go all over the earth. What this man didn't know was that Ken's wife, Linda, had cancer of the uterus with a hysterectomy planned for two weeks' time. He also didn't know Ken had resisted trying for another child for fear that he damaged his seed through all the drug-taking he'd done. Ken prayed and persuaded the gynaecologist to take one more test and they discovered the cancer had gone, with the doctor saying that he had been in medicine for over 30 years and had witnessed his first miracle. 
Jonathan David was born the next year, having no idea about the word of prophecy over his life, or actually showing no interest in music. Then at 19, he came to the UK to train with youth with a mission, and began to play and write music, heard all over the world. In the chorus of this song, he sings, I am no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. And later the words, I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. We are the sons and daughters. Let us sing our freedom. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians, if you belong to Christ, then you are Adam's seed and heirs according to the promise. God is our maker. As Isaiah tells us, he formed you in the womb. Like Jonathan David and the crippled lady who met with Jesus and had her chains freed, we are also the children of God. God's love for you is unconditional, sincere and constant. And whatever we do, he won't ever love us any less. Thank goodness. When Paul finally understood this, it changed his life, writing, I have been crucified with Christ. A new life has begun. Christ lives in me. The Spirit of Christ had come to live in him. This new life was a life of faith in the Son of God. In this verse, Paul pretty much sums up the message of the Gospel. It was so amazing and yet so simple. God searches us and knows us, and there is nowhere we can go to escape his presence or his love. And if you're hearing this this morning in your head but you're having a hard time believing it in your heart, please come and chat with me after the service or with David or Vicky or one of your elders. Let us pray with you as a cherished member of your family here.